Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today, we want to talk about the emotional side of living with chronic illness, and we want to talk about those moments when we really feel like we've hit rock bottom, when we're in a low and we're just feeling hopeless and ready to throw in the towel and ready to give up. I think so many of us living with chronic illness and we don't feel good day in and day out, we can have these natural feelings at times that it's just too much, that it's just so overwhelming and it can feel really, really hopeless. And so today we want to talk about how we, Brittany and I personally, get through moments like these. Those feelings are really serious and they're really heavy and really taxing and exhausting. And they can even be scary sometimes. And I want to take a moment to clarify that what we're talking about is days when We just feel like everything is hopeless and we're so tired of surviving the way that we are and we just don't want to do that anymore and we just wish that we didn't have to and we just want to give up on all the special things we have to do and that's what we're talking about here, not if we are experiencing clinical depression or suicidal ideation. Those are two very different things. So if you're experiencing chronic or clinical depression or you're experiencing or thinking about ending your life, please speak with a mental health professional. Amy and I are not mental health professionals. We're professional sufferers, but we're not (laughs) medical professionals. So if you are experiencing that, that is specifically something you do need to speak with a mental health professional about if you feel comfortable or with your support system or with anybody at all. Those two feelings can exist at the same time. You can feel like giving up and also feel like you have thoughts of ending your life. But what we want to talk about here is feeling like we want to give in or give up, but not specifically thoughts related to ending our lives or clinical depression specifically. So all of that is to say that all of what we talk about today isn't mental health advice or clinical advice. We're not qualified to give that type of advice. What we're talking about specifically is how we personally get through these low moments for us. And these low moments are not moments of clinical depression or suicidal ideation. So these are not tips to help with that. These are just tips to help with when you feel like you've hit rock bottom emotionally or feel like surviving is too hard to do right now. So the discussion that we're going to have today is actually inspired by my experience of a few weeks ago. I found myself in a really soul-wrenching moment, in a really, really dark place that felt like there was absolutely no light to be found. And I think so many of us know how that goes, that we can have these days or moments where it just becomes so heavy and everything that we're dealing with is just so overwhelming and such a burden. What tipped me over the edge a couple weeks ago, because, you know, I think so many of us for so long, we're we're just surviving and we almost get used to just surviving and just surviving just it becomes our way of living for a time being. And I've had a lot of stretches of my life where I'm just surviving, but also stretches where I'm doing better, where I'm not surviving, where I'm living, where I have joy and I have meaning and I'm smiling and I have happiness. But recently, ever since I've been diagnosed two years ago at this point with mass activation syndrome, I have just been surviving on so many days. And as I'm adjusting to living with the condition and figuring out 
how to live better and how to not have continuous flares and reactions. There are days where I have these great days, but the majority of days I'm just have been thrown back into the way that I lived pre-excision, which was surviving and just trying to make it through my day, trying to make it through my work day and then make it through the rest of the day and make it through the night without sleeping, you know, make it through the pain, make it through the nausea, make it through the vomiting episodes, make it through the painful bowel movements, make it through the migraines, make it through the anaphylaxis. That's specific to mast cell, not to endo. And, and it's just been really, really hard. What pushed me over the edge a couple of weeks ago is that I realized that I might have a cavity, which I've never had before, but my teeth, my gums are falling apart thanks to all the inflammation. And so my gums are receding and having all these issues and I'm having a toothache and I'm pretty sure that I have, I don't know if it's a cavity, I don't know what's going on, but I I do need to go to the dentist. It's very obvious. And the problem is that the dentist is a really big trigger for mass activation syndrome. And that's because of the chemicals. That's because of the vibration of the teeth cleaning. And what mass activation syndrome is, is that the mast cells, which are white blood cells, they have inflammatory mediators that they release inappropriately at inappropriate times. And so it's basically like having an allergy, an unpredictable allergy to really unpredictable triggers at any time. And so it's not like, oh, I'm allergic to specifically to X, Y, Z. It's like some days I'm allergic to X, Y, Z, and some days I'm not. And maybe I'm allergic to X on this day, depending on how much sleep I got and what else I ate. And it is just this total psychological mind. Fill in blank here. (laughs) (laughs) This mind fun. Replace F word with other F word. I'll be honest. I mean this past two years, it feels like my world has been crumbling around me. And it feels like every time I build my world back up and I start to feel a little better because of, you know, I mean, you know how it goes. You put in all this research, you change your diet, you change your lifestyle, you work so hard to try to put back together some pieces in your crumbling world. And then something new comes along and crumbles your world in another spot. It's like, can you stop already? It's like a sandcastle with the tide coming in. No matter which part you patch up, the water's still going to crumble another part of your sandcastle. You know, and it has just been so hard to deal with this diagnosis because it is so dependent on everything that I do. Like, I get reactions when I brush my teeth, when I shower, when I go in the sun, when I change temperature, like when I turn on the air con, when I put lotion on. And I've had to change so much in my lifestyle on top of what I've already changed and given up for endometriosis. And I just feel like my world keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And what I'm able to do as the time goes on keeps getting less and less and less. And so it's been really, really hard. And when I realized that I have to go to the dentist and when I saw that the dentist could trigger reaction and reactions can last for days, for weeks with this illness because the mast cells get excited and then they excite other mast cells and then they they get excited and then it's just this chain reaction of horribleness and thinking about going to the dentist that was it it was like game over like no i cannot do this anymore because we all know that with a chronic illness when we want to do things the amount of planning the sheer planning of doing something basic You know, sometimes the planning that we need to just walk to our mailbox and get our mail is immense. And that is emotionally taxing, physically taxing, sometimes financially taxing. We'll pay someone to go get our mail for us at our mailbox. (laughs) Gotta do what you gotta do. (laughs) And we know, I mean, it's just, it can become a huge hassle to do the most basic things. As I sat there thinking like, okay, I need to go to the dentist. And that means first I need to make an appointment when I'm not on my period, obviously, or anywhere near my period or anywhere where my period could get excited and then come early because of the stress of going to the dentist. So I have like a two-week window in the month where I can plan my dentist appointment. And then because of the mast cell, I also wanted to buy up supplements that 
stabilize mast cells and I wanted to take them for at least two weeks before the appointment and two weeks after. And then I wanted to go on a super low histamine diet, like super, super low to try to keep my histamine down because it's going to really go up at the dentist and it's like a bucket. So the more it fills, the worse the reaction. So the more reactions are triggered. So it's this just complex load of crap. And then I realized that I wanted to buy four more EpiPens because I had used up a bunch of the EpiPens that I had. So I had to make an appointment with my allergist to get my EpiPen prescription renewed. And I just sat there like, oh my gosh, I have something with my tooth and it is turning into this saga of going to the doctor. I mean, getting an EpiPen so that I don't, well, I may go into anaphylaxis at the dentist, but so I can safely quote unquote, go into anaphylaxis. I mean, I just sat there with my mind boggled, like, really? A non-chronically ill person would just be like, oh, my tooth hurts, and then make the first dentist appointment available. And we're like, okay, when's my period coming? I got to check my period app. And I also got to see, what did I eat that day? Maybe I should prepare food after in case I have a flare. And this, and, and it's just and oh, and then I was like, I need to ask my boyfriend to drive me because what if I have a flare and then I can't drive myself? It was so complex for the simplest task. And the worst thing is I knew, not because I'm being pessimistic, but because I know my body and I know my flares at this point, that I know I will leave the dentist with probably a week long flare or more in spite of all the precautions that I'm taking. And not because I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just always, you know, want to feel sick. And that's what people say. They're like, oh, you're so negative. You always say, oh, this is going to make me sick. It's like, yeah, because I know myself. It's called a pattern of behavior. (laughs) And you're supposed to recognize them. And that's what we have done. (laughs) (laughs) That's called intelligence and body literacy saying, I Mm -hmm. know that when I do this, this happens. It's not me self-fulfilling my prophecy. And I'm pretty sure if I manifest hard enough about the dentist, the vibration, the chemicals are still going to react to the mast cells. Hilariously enough with mast cells, if you do think about it too hard, the mast cells will react. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you're right. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, I'm tired just talking about it right now. And I found myself in that moment in a terrible, terrible place emotionally. It just felt like all the energy and life had been drained from my body. I felt so fatigued and so, so, so tired. And I went to the closet because I like to be in a dark place when I feel like this. And I just sat there crying and crying, which, of course, reacted the mast cells. So that was great. Good choice. (laughs) (laughs) But got to get those emotions out. And, you know, all I could think, all I could think about was I can't do this anymore. I can't. I just, I cannot do this anymore. I want to give up. That's all I, I just want to give up. I cannot do this anymore. I can't. I really, truly can't. I'm sure those feelings felt really overwhelming and heavy in that moment. Imagining carrying that burden, I'm I'm sure was almost too much to take. For you, it was the dentist that brought you to this moment again. But really, it can be anything. When you have a chronic illness like endometriosis or mast cell activation syndrome or any chronic illness, it can be even the most mundane tasks that need so much preparation and consideration and complexities that the average person doesn't have to consider. Dealing with day-to-day symptoms, a learning curve of a disease, especially a disease that's under-researched or has low awareness or visibility, not knowing what your future will bring or what the next day will be like or even what the next hour could be like. The problems never stop for so many of us in this community. They're relentless. And they pile on top of one another. One thing happens and it triggers another, which triggers another. And it's a terrible domino effect. And the suffering doesn't seem to end. It doesn't seem to let up. It doesn't seem like there's a light at the end. And that makes it feel so unjust and so unfair and so unwarranted and so personal. And those feelings are a lot to carry every day. 
And I want to call out for a second, if I may, something that I'm really proud of you for, which is getting into that closet and crying. I know it sounds a little silly, but what you did was you sat with your thoughts and you sat with your feelings and you experienced your feelings. And that takes a lot of courage. That's brave. It's hard to face your feelings. It's hard to face such an overwhelming tidal wave of emotion like that, of frustration and pain and bitterness and sadness and guilt and shame. All of the feelings at once is so easy to drown in. So I really think it's commendable that you went into the closet and cried because that takes a lot of power to do that. It's hard. And not to mention the headache afterwards, <laughs> because crying never feels good after all the time, especially when you have a chronic illness, but it takes a lot of guts. And I think that's commendable. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The thoughts that we sit with sometimes, the thoughts that I was sitting with in that moment were thoughts of giving up, were thoughts of hopelessness and desperation that all of this is hopeless and that I've lost all hope. Thoughts that I just cannot do this anymore. And in that moment, there didn't feel like any bright side at all, any light, any silver lining, any way to spin this. It just felt like complete desperation. All I had was this drained yet heavy, this empty yet heavy, soul wrenching darkness that I just wanted to give up. That was it. I just wanted to give up and throw the towel in and say, I can't do this anymore. I won't do this anymore. I think one of the most important aspects of sitting with our thoughts and recognizing that we have these thoughts and that they're valid thoughts to have, they're valid feelings to have. And I think I don't want to speak for everybody in this community, but I would say that the large majority of us have felt these similar feelings, so none of us are alone in feeling them. And the truth of the matter is that sometimes everything does fall apart. Sometimes you can't catch all of the water falling through your fingers, and you can't stop things from toppling over, and you can't stop the dominoes from falling into each other. And that's something that's really hard to be okay with because it's not a good thing. Nobody wants that to be the reality, but it is a reality that we can't hold everything together all the time. And something that I feel is important for me and I know for you is to embrace the fact that we can't hold it together all the time and that we shouldn't have to hold it together all the time and that things are going to fall apart. Feeling things like fear and confusion and uncertainty, and despair, and hopelessness, all of those feelings are okay to experience. You can have those feelings. You can feel those feelings all at the same time, at individual times, all stacked on top of each other. It's okay to just be with those feelings. It's okay to not have to slap a smile on your face and pretend like everything's fine. It's okay to feel like you're just barely holding on and you don't want to anymore. I want to thank you, Brittany, for noticing that I took the time to sit with my feelings because that's always been something that's really hard for me. I think it's really hard for all of us because we grew up in a society where people don't talk about the times when things fall apart. We're expected to, everything's fine, and have that smile on our face and having emotions that aren't viewed as quote unquote positive all the time, like happiness and joy and excitement, it's looked down upon in society. So it can just be really, really hard to let those feelings in. And it can be really hard when we let those feelings in not to judge ourselves for having those feelings or try to convince ourselves that we should feel a different way or that, oh, what I'm going through isn't that bad compared to what other people are going through and minimizing our experience. And I think it's just really, really hard to just sit with exactly where we are, with the life we have, with the person that we are, with the feelings that we have. And that is something that I've really, really been working on over these past couple of years. You know, normally, after I spend an evening feeling sad, I give myself a pep talk. 
and I make an action plan, and that helps me a lot. But on this night, it was a Saturday a couple weeks ago, I, I just, I couldn't. When I finished crying, I just, I knew I would need an action plan eventually. I would need to order the EpiPens and make the doctor's appointment to get the prescription and et cetera. But I, I just, I just couldn't. It was still all just too much. And all I wanted to do was go to sleep. So I went to bed, tossed and turned all night as usual. But when I woke up unrefreshed and exhausted, I instantly felt again that heavy burden of what I was going through. Because a lot of times I feel like when I'm having a really difficult night and everything feels so much and I go to bed and I wake up and especially if it's sunny, you know, if it's a cloudy day, you're like, eh, questionable. But if it's a sunny day and it's bright, you know, you've woken up the nighttime, you were in the dark literally because it was night and figuratively. But when you wake up, it's bright, it's sunny. It feels hopeful. It feels revitalizing. It's like, okay, a new day, a new chance, like, and a little bit of that lifts off of me. But in this case, it didn't. Like, I woke up and I just instantly felt exactly what I was feeling the night before. And I just acknowledged to myself that this is all too much right now. It is still too much. And I decided that no action plan today, no pep talk. It was Sunday. So I decided I'm just going to deal with it in a couple of days and I'm going to rest today. I'm going to keep feeling. I'm going to keep processing what I'm feeling. And so I did nothing the whole day. And that is huge for me because as Brittany knows, like I... I going to say, if you know anything about Amy, (laughs) doing nothing is very atypical. (laughs) I am always doing things. I'm always researching. I'm always writing. I'm always doing the podcast. I'm always out taking a walk or doing yoga or like I'm just really active and I like to be really engaged but I didn't and I feel really proud of myself for that because I laid in bed and I put on a meditation a visualization and I just laid in bed for an hour listening to this visualization and then when I was finished I didn't get up I didn't shower I didn't do the dishes I made myself a breakfast. I just left all the dishes there dirty. I was like, I'll deal with you later. I don't care. And then all I did was listen to sad music and cry. And when Monday came around, I didn't feel any better either. And so I took the day off. And I just want to applaud myself for that. I never do that. I never, ever take the day off. Unless I'm literally physically incapacitated from my pain, I work through everything. I have worked when I am in horrible pain, but not incapacitating pain, with a heating pad hooked up to my desk. I know all of you listening can relate. I have worked when I am nauseous. I have vomited in the trash can in my cubicle. I have worked from my toilet the entire day. On the day before my surgery, when I did bowel prep, I didn't even take that day off. I worked from home on the toilet for eight hours. I did not get off the toilet. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I want the day off. I I can't face anyone. I can't talk to clients. I can't look at these emails about things that right now I just don't care about. I don't care. And so I took a mental health day and I just took care of myself on that Monday And I just want to say here that I recognize that a lot of people are not in a situation where they can just take a random day off. I feel really grateful that we have a PTO policy where I do have a set number of days that I can take off throughout the year. I did call it in as a sick day. Definitely did not tell them I was taking a mental health day because my whole life was falling apart around me. (laughs) But It can be really, really hard for a lot of us if we're not allotted PTO days, if we have a big presentation. I think so many of us know that, and I've certainly lived that. There's so many times when I have not taken a day off that I really desperately needed because I had a presentation or I had a big deadline or it wasn't a good time. So I feel really proud of myself for recognizing what I need. And I also feel grateful that I had the luxury within my workplace to just call in sick and just take that 
day off as a PTO day. And I did not feel guilty about it, which I also thought showed a lot of progress because in the past I've been such a people pleaser and a work pleaser. And I, when I call in sick, I feel so guilty. And am I sick enough for a day off? And it's just been such a psychological, so much to do with endometriosis and living with chronic illness is just such a psychological mind fun. Replace the word fun. <laughs> and it can just be really hard throughout this whole crisis with the dentist. I, I just, I think I've finally at 37 years old, gosh, it has taken long enough and I'm still getting to know myself, but I'm finding a place where I can recognize what I need and give myself what I need. And that is really helpful. And I just took care of myself on that Monday. And for me, self-care looks like doing yoga. It looks like chanting. It looks like watching a Korean drama and crying. Amy's a sucker for a tearjerker (laughs) K-drama. And I play with my cats, and I had a solo dance party. I put on my headphones, and I put on some deep house music, and I just danced around my house in my underwear. I just danced and danced the beat and danced, and it felt good. It just felt so good. And for other people, self-care can look different. There's so many ways that we can have self-care. I mean, sometimes my self-care comes from organizing. I love when I organize, I feel really soothed. So self-care can look different for all of us. But for me, self-care oftentimes involves moving my body because I've noticed that when I move my body, like when I dance, when I do yoga, when I do qigong, when I take a walk, it helps me move through my feelings because otherwise I have a tendency to get stuck. And so on those days, on Sunday, Monday, I didn't push myself to do anything differently. Instead, I just gave myself permission to feel how I felt. I let myself feel sad. I let myself, in a way, give up by not pushing myself, by not looking for the action plan, by not doing my dishes. I didn't even brush my teeth. I was like, screw it. I don't care. I'm not brushing my teeth today. I'm not doing anything today that I don't want to. So by Tuesday morning, I wasn't ready to go back to work. So I took another mental health day. But I was ready to get out of my feelings. I was ready to give myself the pep talk. And when I say the pep talk, I don't mean like give myself this super pep talk. I'm like, okay, everything's going to be fine. You're just fine. It's going to be great at the dentist. There's a silver lining here. Like that is not what my pep talk looks nothing like that. My pep talk is really gentle and really realistic. And I don't try to convince myself anything. I don't tell myself that. I need to have hope or find a silver lining. What I do is I remind myself of two truths. Two truths that I think are true for me, that I have seen to be true for me, but I actually think are true for all human beings on this earth. And the first truth is that life is impermanent and things change. And the second truth is that I'm going to be okay. First, I want to give props to Amy again. This is just the episode of me giving props to Amy. Wow. Is this recorded so (laughs) I can listen back later? This is a recorded podcast. Yes. Wow. I didn't realize we were recording without my consent. (laughs) You started the recording. (laughs) Oh, that's right. I'm the one who uploads it every week. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You're going to say how great I am again? Wow. Again. Two times in one episode. Wow. Well, I did want to recognize and commend you for honoring yourself. I think that's something that we all struggle with a lot. And speaking from personal experience, specifically with taking care of my mental health as well as my physical health, it's really hard to honor your needs, especially when it comes to mental health. We're often just told to push through it, to ignore it, that it's not that important or it's not that big of a deal. But honoring your mental health and what your needs are in terms of your mental health is just every bit as important as your physical health. So I want to commend you for honoring yourself. And that's something that I'm trying to work on personally. So it's very impressive because it takes a lot of practice and it's really hard. And the fact that you had no guilt is just like amazing. So I'm very proud of you. Thank you, Brittany. Well, I think what you said, the key is practice. And I think that taking care of yourself is a skill. 
And I will tell you, I was really, really bad at it. So I want to give hope to everyone out there that when you hear me and Brittany speak and we talk about the ways we take care of ourselves now, this is not how I took care of myself 20 years ago. No. Okay, that's why I have all of these endo horror stories where I'm crawling down the street or I have an incontinence accident in front of my coworkers or, you know, other stories I've told in the podcast because I, I didn't know how to take care of myself. And then even as I was learning, I didn't have the confidence and I didn't have the self-worth to do the things that I need. And I put everyone else's needs before my own. And when I say everyone else's, I don't just mean friends and family. I mean like society, quote unquote, capitalism, quote unquote, consumerism, quote unquote. I put the needs of my work before me, my company, what I thought I needed to do. Oh, I need to be productive. Oh, I need to do X, Y, Z. And now I say, no, what I need is to take care of myself. And so you're looking at the products of years of making mistakes and practice and trying to get it right. And so that's why it just feels like so exciting that even though I was in a moment where I was feeling desperately broken, not in that moment where I was like, oh, I'll take the day off. I'm proud of myself. No. But in that moment, no, because I was so deep in the feelings of hopelessness. But looking back on this whole incident a couple weeks later, I can say, oh, wow. Like for the first time, I think in my life, I honored myself and I said, it's okay to take a day off. It's okay not to do the dishes and brush my teeth today. It's okay to lounge around in my, <laughs> it's okay to lounge around in the same underwear I wore yesterday. I don't care. <laughs> I want to go back for a moment to the two truths that Amy mentioned, one being impermanence. Life is impermanent. Feelings are impermanent. Experiences are impermanent. Joy is impermanent and so is sadness. And that's just something that feels kind of strange to accept at first, but also liberating for me. So to accept that this panic attack I'm having is impermanent, it's not going to last forever, or this feeling of giving up is impermanent, that won't last forever, or even this feeling of pure joy won't last forever kind of, for me, neutralized everything. Like, everything is impermanent, so nothing is forever. Even the way I first feel when getting a diagnosis is impermanent, because I won't stay that way forever in the way that I feel about it. What this did for me and for Amy was it opened us up to possibility, to the idea that because things are this way this minute, they could be different the next minute, the next day, hour, month. Many things in our lives change. Just think about how we grow and we age and we mature and how much we've changed depending on one year from the previous or five years from the previous. Sometimes things around us don't change. Our environment may not change or what we're doing may not change, but we change. Amy and I have been in the same job for six years and lived in the same city for six years, so none of our environments have changed. But I can't tell you how much we have changed. It's incalculable. And it's interesting to think that we didn't make any large, super strides other than excision surgery. That's a big stride. <laughs> I'll give her that. But we didn't make any large, huge life decisions. Like I said, we've been living the same lives for six years. But when we look back at the person I was six years ago and how permanent I thought that they were, like, that's how I'm going to be forever is so not true because I'm so different today. And I know I'll be so different in six years from now. But we'll still be friends forever. Yes. Our forever. friendship is not impermanent. No. So. Some things are impermanent, but some things are permanent. <laughs> and that tattoo I'm going to get on my butt of, <laughs> of <laughs> my your face, face. <laughs> that'll be permanent too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And the most uncanny thing about us changing is that even if our situation doesn't change, because we've changed, our situation actually has changed. The way I looked at my anxiety six years ago, my anxiety severely impacted my life, and I didn't think that it was going to improve. I spent hours every day dealing with my symptoms of anxiety. 
I tried to make strides and steps, but they felt too overwhelming. They were too exhausting. It was too much for me to make those big strides that most people recommend you make. But over time, I changed. I learned about my feelings. I learned about how I viewed myself. I learned about how I looked at things. I learned about things that made me feel good and things that didn't make me feel good. And of course, this is me speaking about my anxiety specifically. But because I changed, so too did my situation. I looked at it differently. I approached it differently. I saw myself and my experience differently. And so as much as my anxiety feels permanent, and it is permanent, I will have anxiety forever, the way that I experience my anxiety won't be the same forever, and the way that my anxiety manifests itself won't be the same forever. For me, it was about, even though I felt like I wanted to give up, and I think we all feel that at some time, like we want to give up and just succumb to the pain, succumb to the anxiety, succumb to the anaphylaxis, don't do that. Use the EpiPen. I do every single time. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, I want to give up, but ooh, anaphylaxis? No, no, no. No, that's not a good way okay. to do that. <laughs> I just want to give up emotionally, yeah. but not physically. Not physically. For us, it was more about just being open to the idea that things will change. So when I started noticing with my anxiety that I was changing, and when Amy started noticing with her experience that she was changing, we realized that things do over time change, and that could be over five years. But the amount of change from five years is so much more drastic than we think it's going to be. And in those moments in the closet for Amy and in a panic attack for me, there is no hope in those moments. It doesn't feel like, I'm hopeful for the future. I know things will get better. Everything always gets better. That's not really what we mean. What we more mean is that what I'm experiencing in this moment isn't a forever moment. Because we don't always know that things are going to get better, to be honest, to be completely vulnerable and honest. But we do know things are going to be different. And if things can be different, there is a chance that they could be better. And better looks different to everybody. Better could be going from a panic attack a day to a panic attack a week. From crying in the closet a day and having excruciating pain every day to every other day. That's still improvement in my book. That's still better. But that doesn't mean everything is great now. Everything is best now. But still, even that state is impermanent. And there's still a way to go. And we don't know what the end game is going to be. But we know that what we're experiencing right now isn't the end game. Well, I really liked what you said, Brittany. First of all, throughout everything, you just are so wise. And everything you say, I hang on everywhere. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Wise, Brittany. And I can attest that six years ago, Brittany was not wise like this. <laughs> I mean, Brittany's always been kind and, you know, caring and anxious and depressed. Um, but Wow, call me out. Okay. <laughs> I mean, there's some things that have changed. There's some things that haven't. But no, I'm just kidding, though. But I want to commend Brittany right now. It's my turn. Yeah, I want to go ahead and I want to commend Brittany because... Brittany has always been wise beyond her years, and she's always offered me so much incredible advice and so much support, but I think that she really wasn't good at offering that to herself, and I think that with as many really beautiful things that came out of her mouth about me and about my endometriosis and my symptoms and my situation, she always looked at her own situation like, this is how it is, and I've always been like this, and I always will be like this. I've always had panic attacks. I've always had a fear of germs. I've always had X, Y, Z. But Brittany no longer has an irrational fear of germs as she once had. Brittany no longer gets trapped in her anxiety spiral sometimes, but most of the time not. And I just think you're such a role model, Brittany, for at least for the people who knew you, because I know the audience didn't know you six years ago the way that I know you. But Lucky I, them. <laughs> they get the refined me now, I feel not like, the mess me. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's how we all feel about ourselves in the past. But there's no need. There's no shame. Like, you are an amazing person now, and you were an amazing person six years ago. But like you said, you've matured, and I've matured. I mean, we both matured. We've become wiser. We've come to know ourselves better and know what we need better. But I just really want to commend you for how different things are for you. And in part because 
you're very different. And to put in all of that self-work and to have all of that growth, it's really hard to put in self-work on ourselves. And you've done a really great job at it. And I think that you should be so proud. And I'm so proud of the Brittany that I have before me and the Amy that I have before me and also what we've made together because we have been such a great support for each other. Check back in six years and see where we are then. <laughs> <laughs> Reunion episode with Amy and Brittany. Aww. We hate each other. We're in, the, <laughs> no. we're in the podcast box pulling each other's hair. I guess nothing I've, is permanent, not I've, even this friendship. I put a fork in Brittany's eyeball. She's lasered off the tattoo on her butt. <laughs> <laughs> no, I couldn't laser it off, so I just took a knife and cut the chunk oh, of my butt cheek out. I was like, Why do you have a depression in your butt cheek? <laughs> That's where your face used to be. <laughs> oh my. I used to have this best friend named Brittany, but not anymore. <laughs> You just actually take a Sharpie every morning and cross it out. That's what you do. I put the, I go ahead and I put like a beard on Brittany on my own butt Ooh, cheek, I look you good. know, you know, when you vandalize people's yes. photos. So I put like a unibrow. On a... That's part of your morning routine. Well, if Brittany keeps going ahead with the PCOS and the testosterone, she might, I have, might her have my own, own unibrow yeah. and beard hair. I'm cultivating this beautiful beard right here. <laughs> but I really liked what you said, Brittany, about how you said that things may not be okay. And you said the honest truth is that things may not be okay. Things may not change, but we can change. And that is part of my truth number two that I always say to myself when when I'm going through a hard time is that I'm going to be okay. When I was younger, I used to say things like everything will be okay. Things are going to work out. I used to love a quote, and to be honest, I still do, and it's from the movie The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. If you haven't seen that movie, I really recommend it. And it's a really sweet movie, and there is this really nice quote in it, and they say, everything will be all right in the end, so if it's not all right, it's not the end. And I really like that quote because within that quote, there is a lot of hope. There is that possibility that not just possibility, like that knowing that things will get better, that things are going to change. But the thing is, like Brittany said, (laughs) I don't know that things are going to get better. And I can't believe anymore that things are going to turn out okay when I'm in a tough situation. They may turn out okay. I want them to turn out okay. But I can't tell myself anymore that things are going to turn out okay because I've seen that things don't turn out okay. I've seen that people get diagnosed with chronic illness or two or five illnesses in my own case. I've seen that people pass away. I've seen that people lose the people they love. I've seen a lot of suffering, firsthand suffering and suffering through others. And so I no longer think that everything is going to be okay because I think that's not realistic. But what I'm striving for in my life is that I will be okay. That eventually, and it may not be right now, it probably won't be right now, but eventually I will be okay. I will adapt. I will learn how to live with this or things will change. And maybe things will change a little bit and then I'll learn how to live with them and then things will change a little bit more and then I'll keep adjusting. And then at some point, I'm okay. In these moments of suffering, when we're in the depths of it, when everything is a mess, when it's chaos, when it's all broken around us, when we feel broken, when it seems like the world has fallen apart and the sky has fallen in and it's just we're living inside of a catastrophe. And we're barely surviving, and it all feels intolerable. I just have to stay open, like Brittany said. I just have to stay open. I just have to live until things change, until I change. I just have to make it through the day. I just have to survive. Every day is a new day, a new chance to try again. And I can tell myself I don't know how to live with this right now, but I can learn. Everything is broken. Everything is exhausting and terrifying, and it's a lot to handle, but I can do this. 
I know that I can do this. And I know that all of you listening can do this in your worst moments, in your intolerable moments, in the moments when you feel broken and when the sky has fallen in. I know that we can do this because we're doing it. We are doing it. And we have learned in our lives to live with things that we thought would absolutely break us and destroy us. I mean, think about when we got diagnosed with endometriosis. I think for all of us listening, it may have been on one hand a relief and a validation because we knew that something was wrong with us and we were being gaslit, most of us, for so long that just to know that this is what I have, it was so empowering and so liberating. But on the other hand, I think for many of us, the diagnosis felt like no cure. Is this my life? Am I resigned to live in pain every single day? There are so many moments in this journey with endometriosis that we thought would break and destroy us. And maybe in those moments, temporarily, they did break and destroy us. And maybe we still feel broken and we still feel destroyed. I know that I'm still clawing my way back from my diagnosis of mast cell activation syndrome. And it's been two years and I'm still clawing my way back because it takes time. It takes time to feel differently. It takes time to adjust. But I also remember moments in my life in the past when everything around me broke and I broke and I came back from that. And I made it through moments when life felt intolerable and I made it through what I thought I could not endure. I endured all of those moments we have endured and gotten through our most horrible, excruciating, incapacitating, terrifying moments. We are still here. And I think in my own case, there were moments when I thought I could never smile again. And then a month later, two months later, six months later, I found myself smiling again one day to my own surprise because the situation had changed because I had changed and now I'm in a spot where I find myself under the water again and I'm drowning but I know with utmost confidence that I'm going to make it to the shore I trust in my ability to get through this awful situation and I trust in the ability of all of you to get through whatever situation you're facing. We have learned with endometriosis to handle the impossible. We have learned to handle the unbearable, and we're still learning. And I think we're going to be learning for the rest of our lives. But we are handling these dark, hopeless situations. It's messy. It can be ugly. But that's what handling the intolerable looks like. It looks like being with our feelings. It looks like letting ourselves cry. It looks like screaming in a pillow. It looks like resting when we can. It looks like not doing our dishes. And that's okay. Because there is no right or wrong way to survive living with endometriosis. There is no perfect way to handle living with this illness. Whatever way that we're surviving and we're handling it and we're dealing with it and we're getting through it, that is okay. We know how hard it is, and it is hard. It is so, so challenging. So trust in yourself. Trust in your ability. I trust in you, Brittany, and I trust in you. And we know, we know that you're going to get through every single thing that this illness throws at you. And we are so, so proud of you. I think something that's also really helpful when we're dealing with these deep feelings and these really heavy emotions is having someone or something to talk to. And I'll explain what I mean by that. When I say someone to talk to, I mean someone to really talk to. Amy and I are really lucky that we have each other and we get it. And sometimes having somebody to talk to looks like coaching a person (laughs) through how you need them to respond when you talk to them. That could be a parent, a sibling, a partner, a best friend, a coworker. You can say to them things like, when I express this to you, 
I would love it if you responded by validating me or just telling me it's okay. I'm not looking for solutions or advice on how to fix it. And somebody giving you that validation and just listening to you and making you feel like you're heard can be really invaluable. And it's okay to coach people on how you want them to respond to you. What I meant by something to talk to is that sometimes people aren't around. When it's 3 a.m. and I'm having an anxiety spiral, Amy may not be around. I mean, she's probably up thanks to mast cell, but I don't count on that. (laughs) We don't bother each other after midnight. So she may not be around. And Amy, in the closet, I was not around at the time. So by something, I mean perhaps a journal. Amy loves journaling. For me, it's more I like to talk out loud. So just anything to get the feelings out of your head. So that doesn't mean they have to be committed to paper or computer, but that you're actually talking them out either in written form or in spoken form. Just thinking about them isn't as effective at getting them out. We tend to skip over things when we think or we do the abbreviated or abridged version when we think. But when you have to write it out or talk it out, you really give it every single intentionality and you touch on every single thing that you're feeling because you're articulating it. Sometimes I talk to myself. Sometimes I talk to my dog. Sometimes I talk to an imaginary person beside me. Who's also named Amy. Yeah, ironically. (laughs) So it doesn't have to always be a person. Not all of us are lucky enough to have a person in our lives that we can trust with this kind of information and these feelings. But that's why we can have the some things. And sometimes the some things aren't enough, and there's no some ones around. And we have to learn how to become the something and the someone to ourselves. If there's no one there to comfort us or tell us that they believe what we're feeling or validate our feelings or tell us that, yeah, that sounds terrible, everything sounds terrible right now, then we can do that for ourselves. Something Amy mentioned earlier is that I was so ready to support her and I was so ready to give her all of the support and love and adoration and uplifting, but I couldn't give it to myself. And that's been one of my biggest things that I'm learning is how to give that to myself, how to turn the comfort inward. And I think that that's something that most of us struggle with, especially people who have been societally conditioned as women. We are told that we are comforters. We are told that we have to comfort those around us. And it becomes so difficult to turn that on ourselves because it feels like we're being selfish or it feels like we should be nicer to others and not as kind to ourselves. But that's not the truth. The truth is, is that we should be our ultimate comforter because we should see the truth of ourselves. We should validate ourselves. And that's something that I think would benefit us all to learn. Before I had the most wonderful person ever, Brittany, my best friend, and the person whose face is tattooed on my right butt cheek. (laughs) Suki's is on your left. I know where (laughs) I stand. (laughs) But before I had Brittany in my life, I had no one to talk to about my illness. That's why it was so important to me to start this podcast and the Instagram account to help support other people going through these similar experiences because sometimes for a variety of reasons, we just don't have anyone who's going to listen to us, who's going to validate us, who's going to comfort us. In fact, the people in our life, the people in my life before I met Brittany, I mean, they actively did the opposite. You know, I would tell them about a tough time that I'm going through with my symptoms or something that I'm feeling, and it would just be gaslighting and brushing me off and minimizing it while it's not really that bad, right? That doesn't sound that bad. And all you want is to be heard. All you want is a hug. All you want is for someone to sit with you in the total, total darkness and say, you're right. Everything sucks right now. It feels like there is no hope, but we're here together. I did not have that for a long time before I met Brittany. And I didn't know how to do that for myself. That's something that I've learned after being supported by Brittany. I've learned how to support myself in the moments when Brittany's not around, the rare moments, like in the middle of the night. (laughs) And so what does supporting and comforting ourselves look like? Because I think it is one of the most valuable tools 
and skills and practices that we can learn. And it's okay if we're really bad at it right now. And it's okay if we have no idea how to do it because we can learn because it is a skill and it's a practice just like almost everything in life. And for me, what that looks like is when I have these feelings and I say, wow, everything is terrible right now and I just want to give up and it feels so hopeless. I don't judge myself. I don't say, oh, Amy, how can you say that when other people have it worse? Or, oh, Amy, you shouldn't feel like this. You should feel happier or it's not that bad. So what it looks like is not minimizing myself, not invalidating myself, not gaslighting myself, not doing what all the people have done to me for all these years, which is really, really hard because I think a lot of times the way that we treat ourselves is a reflection of the way that people have treated us. And so the self-critic in our heads or the voice in our heads, the judgment, it can be the voice of the bullies that we face in our lives or the people that have hurt us. And we've just taken that and we've turned those voices inwards and we've made them our own voices. And so learning how to just say, yes, Amy, you're right. Everything that you feel right now is totally valid and natural and it sucks. It really, really sucks. And so sometimes when I'm having these conversations, I guess, with myself, like in the closet, I'm like, I just feel like I want to give up. And then I just sit with that. And then I'm just like, I want to give up. I just really want to give up. And that's kind of what it looks like. It doesn't look like me saying, I really want to give up. And no, Amy, look on the bright side. And how can you say that? And don't be so dramatic. That's what it used to look like. But now it just looks like having those feelings and and sitting with them and being like, these are my feelings. And I welcome them. And I allow them to be here. Something that Amy and I keep as a truth for ourselves and kind of as a a phrase that we repeat to each other and to ourselves and we'd like to also give to you is it's okay if all you did today was survive. It's okay if all you did today was survive. And actually, it's more than okay. It's amazing what you've survived with endometriosis or with a chronic illness. And perhaps to people without endometriosis or, or chronic illness, the, they don't understand. They don't see it as an incredible feat that we got out of bed today or that we actually showered or that we were able to brush our teeth or we were able to brush our hair or that we were able to drive in a car or able to show up at work. People don't know how hard and difficult it is to live with an illness like endometriosis if they don't have it. They can't fathom what we go through on a daily basis. There's really no level at which they can understand how it feels physically, never mind how it feels emotionally. That's often why when we tell people about all of our doctor's appointments and all of the things doctors have said to us and all of the ways that we've been treated, they either don't believe us tell us we're lying, or say, wow, that's what you have to do. I could never do that. But we do. We do do it. We do have to hear what that doctor said to us. We do have to take that comment of, I could never do that. Wow. As if that means nothing to us. We have to absorb that. We have to deal with that every single day, the biting comments, never mind the symptoms, the experiences, how our mental health is affected, how our emotional health is affected the effect to our relationships, we have to deal with all of these ramifications and all of these regulations every single day, day in and day out. We have to get through our worst moments of back-breaking pain or overwhelming nausea or surgery recovery or painful bowel movements. We have to grapple with the fear of our period coming the fear of an upcoming surgery or the hope that we dare feel for a moment that we're scared may be snatched away a moment later. We have to deal with the grief and the loss of our dreams or who we thought we were going to be or what we hoped for the future. We may lose our identities to this illness. We may deal with it with anger at how inaccessible expert care actually is 
and how clueless most doctors are about endometriosis, about how much misinformation is out there, and about how many doctors perpetuate harm against us, actually actively harm us with their insufficient knowledge or poor advice. We survive all of our pain, all of our agony, all of the misery, and sometimes that surviving looks like crying or screaming or being bedridden or laying next to our vomit in a dog bed on the bathroom floor. There are days when living with this illness does feel downright impossible, actually impossible to face another moment in this pain or another moment with this symptom. But we do it. You're all here listening to this, so you've all done it. We've all done it through all of these experiences. And Amy and I know that the end goal for all of us isn't to just survive. We all want to live. We all want to thrive and be healthy and happy and find joy in our lives. And if we're just surviving, if we're just barely holding on, just hanging on to the edge, it's hard on our souls. It's hard on our minds. And if you need extra support, it's okay to reach out to somebody. In fact, it's encouraged. Talk with somebody you trust. And if you don't have somebody, speak with someone equipped to talk about mental health. But if you're in a place right now where all you're doing is surviving, that's okay. And we're sorry that you're in that place because we've been there too. And we know how isolating and devastating it can feel. We see you. And we're there with you. And we're sorry that things are that hard for you right now. We both want you to know that things change. The way things are now is not the way that they will be forever. And so in your metaphorical closet or your metaphorical dark room, that's not going to be what forever looks like. Amy and I are proud of you. And you should be proud of you. Because you did it. If all you did today was brush your teeth, that's okay. You did it. If all you did today was cry in a closet, that's okay. You did it. You should be proud of yourself for every single win. And the win is determined by what you think it is. For some people, getting up and taking a shower isn't a win. But when you have chronic pain or you have other symptoms, that's a massive victory. So you need to be proud of yourself for doing things that are a big deal to you, even if they aren't to others. It's not ideal to have our wins be a shower or brushing our teeth, of course, but endo's incredibly difficult to deal with and incredibly difficult to live with. And there's going to be hard moments that can turn into hard weeks, hard months, hard years. And just like those hard years came on, those hard years will leave again. Things will go up and things will go down. Things will get better and things will get worse. But things will always change. So if you're accomplishing those small things, if you're just surviving, if you're doing nothing but surviving, we still want you to pat yourself on the back. We still want you to give yourself a hug. And we want you to recognize that you are doing your best. You are getting through these worst moments. These moments are no joke. They're not easy. They're not quick to pass, but you're surviving them. And it might be really hard to be proud of yourself. I know it was for me. I know it was for Amy. It's really hard to be proud of yourself for things that you think everybody should just be able to do this. It shouldn't be that hard, but it is that hard for you. So we don't have to measure ourselves against what the average person should be able to do. If it's difficult for me and I did it, then I should be proud of myself. And it can take a lot of practice to build up to recognizing that in ourselves because it feels weird at first. It feels fake, like we don't deserve praise for doing something as simple as brushing our hair. As fellow humans with endometriosis and a whole slew of other chronic illnesses, we want you to know that we see you in that dark closet. And we hear what you're feeling. And we believe you. And we're proud of you. And we think it's amazing what you get through every single day. And our dream for you 
would be for you to recognize that about yourself. So as much as Amy and I believe in you, we want you to believe in yourself. We're proud of you, but we want you to be proud of yourself. I really think it's important for all of us to be proud of what we live with every single day. And while we want to validate you and we'll give you all the validation in the world, if we could give you one thing, it would be that you believe in and are proud of yourself. All right, let's all have a group cry right now because everybody hug yourself (laughs) and have a good cry. Okay, who is crying besides me? (laughs) Okay, everyone wipe away your tears or possibly pause us and just sob. Just It's okay if you're sobbing right now because I am barely holding back my whole lot. (laughs) Thank you, Brittany. Everything that you said is so true and it is so beautiful. And learning to trust in ourselves, learning to trust in what we can get through, and learning to be proud of ourselves is such an invaluable skill. And it honestly can truly transform our lives. So, Brittany, I want to thank you today for having this talk with us, for having this discussion about the days that we feel like we can't survive, the days that we feel like we just want to give up but we get through them. We've gotten through all of them and we're going to keep getting through them. If you're looking for a tool to explore yourself, to explore the trust that you have in yourself, to explore your relationship with yourself and with your endometriosis, I just want to highlight here my book. It's called Finding Peace with a Devastating Disease, Reflections on Endometriosis. And it's 76 of my reflections on different aspects of living with chronic illness. And at the end of each reflection is a guided journaling prompt. And they're designed with questions that I've come up with about living with chronic illness and about the topic that I just wrote about that you just read about to help you see how that topic applies to you, to help bring it inwards to you. As Brittany said, I love journaling, but I think journaling is a really valuable tool. You don't have to journal. You can speak the prompts out loud, or you can not do the prompts at all, and you can just read the book. It's a beautiful book in itself, and it is designed as well that you can read the book without doing the journal prompts. The journal is just extra if you want to explore how the topics interact with your own life. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for having this conversation with Brittany and I. Thank you if you have read my book. Thank you for reading my innermost thoughts and for being a part of this journey with us, with Brittany and I, for coming together with us every week and listening to this podcast and growing with us and exploring with us and learning with us. All of you listening, you really are an invaluable part of our lives. So thank you. If you'd like to reach out to us, we are on Instagram at in16yearsofendo. We're on the website in16years.com. We hope that you'll all go ahead and pat yourself on the back and say, I'm doing a good job and I'm proud of myself. 